quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Know that mantle you have and really try to work on yourself because that will pass down to the, the mothers and fathers working, which will pass down to the kids and they'll be happy in their home lives as well. Welcome to the Best Ever Show, the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Best ever listeners, welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Slocum Reed, and today we are joined by Sean Taggy. Sean is joining us from Salt Lake City, Utah, where we host the Best Ever Conference. The next one is coming up here in April of 2024. His company is Acorn Equity and Acquisitions. They are a real estate syndicator. They're also getting into private equity, looking to buy small businesses. Their primary focus, though, is multifamily syndication in Tennessee and Georgia. Sean primarily operates as a co-general partner focused on acquisitions and investor relations. Current portfolio consists of over 650 multifamily units with another over 200 under contract and an HVAC business under contract. Sean, can you tell us a little more about your background and what you're currently focused on? Yeah, sure. Thanks again, Slocum and the best ever listeners for having me on. Super happy to be on here and lucky. I did biomedical engineering as my background and just realized the numbers of real estate and the returns I can get versus the stock market. So quit my job after three years after owning a few rentals in Memphis and moved my family and my one-year-old daughter all the way to Memphis, Tennessee from Salt Lake And I was there the past six years and really just rode that huge wave of appreciation through the past six years as everyone's seen and flipped 1,500 single family houses, learned a ton about systems, processes, marketing, team creation. And I was the chief operating officer with some other partners over there. And past four years is when I really dove into instead of doing 100 deals 100 times, why not do 100 doors one time? So uh, we got into multifamily. And basically just did the burr or flipping these multifamilies. So we've done about five different complexes, 750 doors. We sold a hundred of the doors about a year and a half ago for a great IRR and return. And the others are just under refinance or stabilization right now. So uh, yeah, it's been a great wild ride. And now I'm also dipping into private equity. I'm buying a business. I'm under LOI to purchase a HVAC business here in Utah. And that's what I'm really good at is the operations, talking with people. I'm kind of the middleman. I love tough conversations. I kind of like it when a couple of people are disagreeing on some things. I love hearing both sides. It's kind of a fun little interesting quest. So I think that helps out a lot with any business, real estate or anything, the tenant versus the landlord, the manager versus the employee. I love hearing about all that and getting in there, being a mediator. So I feel like that's a good use of my skills. Cool. So Sean, diving into your apartment investing, it sounds like you've gone full cycle on one property over a hundred doors. You're in the stabilization or value add business plan on some of those properties and some of them you've executed a cash out refinance. Is your team primarily focused on the roughly five year hold business plan to deliver an IRR to your investors, or are you looking to build a long-term hold portfolio? Yeah, great question. Ours are focused on the five-year plan. 
So one of them just ended up being about a two and a half year plan because we, we hit rents right in 2018, 2019, and they went crazy through 2020 and 2021. So we're able to exit at a, a great IRR with that, with some nice value add. Cap rates also suppressed during that time. So I had a great exit on that. The other two, pretty much the same thing. It's just we were later on when we started the project. So we were able to refinance out about 80% of the investor's initial R's and the investor's initial capital on those. So that was a sweet deal. So now they're cash flowing really high on that because you have so little equity in them. And yeah, we always analyze with the five-year play. We don't put the refinance in there because it's unpredictable and just holding for five years. But it's just a cherry on top when you get the refinance, some equity out at years two or three, and then sell earlier or later. But yeah, typically a five-year hold. And we go for value add. We're looking for $200, $300 a door rent bumps with some minor to mid-level renovations on these properties. Typically, what we've found experience in is in the B and C class areas. I know everyone has their niche and their preference on the type of vintage and class. We just find those have the better opportunities. A lot of other private equity and larger shops kind of turn their noses up at those types of projects. So we come in and we're happy to be taking those over and helping the, the blue collar class have some nice, clean, safe, and well-ran apartments to live in. That makes sense. You flipped over 1,500 single family houses in Memphis in a span of how many years? Six years. Six years, 1,500 doors. That's a significant number of houses. I have to believe you had some pretty solids. 250 a year, yeah. You had to have some pretty solid systems there. Are you still flipping houses or did you back out of that business? There were two other partners, a father-son that were in Memphis for 30 years. Great relationships, great team, great partners to be on with. I came on as the operations. They were growing so quickly and didn't have that systems processes, the engineering skills that I have and bringing in some softwares. You know, I'm a millennial, so bringing in some of the more software things to make employees' time more valuable and levered with using softwares and automated reports and things like that. So that was kind of the value add I brought into that partnership where they had pretty decent renovation crews, good team, lots of network and connections with other realtors and investors and everything like that and a great foundation and a property management company. So yeah, it came in, it was a wild ride for the first two years, getting a solid team down, just talking with people, working out the rough edges, hiring some good people on the acquisitions team. We got up to three acquisition managers. We had seven virtual assistants taking phone calls of all the marketing we're sending out and doing cold calls, trying to buy houses, talking with realtors and wholesalers as well. And then two contract administrators helping out on the team and then three renovation managers. And they all had probably four or five subcontractor crews under them. And then a bunch of plumbing, electric, HVAC, specialty trades under them as well. And an accounting team, two or three bookkeepers and a CFO and all that. So yeah, it was up to the four when we did 320 in one year. It was a wild ride, but it was a pretty well hummed machine at that point. And I alluded all to Traction, that book Traction, Gino Wickman. He's a genius. And I just live by that. That was my business Bible. And I just try to do everything on there up to 80% right. Got really lucky with great team and great people to help and awesome partners. And it was, it was really fun and enjoyable. Why did you exit that business? A couple of reasons. I moved to Memphis six years ago saying I'll only be there two to five years to my wife <laughs> and two, three, four, year five. We're now into year six. And every year we have the talk with my wife and we want to get back to family. So 
Salt Lake is where we're both from. The grandparents hint or whine every time they see us. Oh, I wish we could see you more. So move back to Utah to be my family. I love it over there. No disrespect on the South. I love the South. I love the business prospects, but man, there's nothing better than Salt Lake City, Utah. And you guys know too, obviously you have your best ever conference over here. So it's a great place to live. So I came back here and really also I wanted to be a majority owner. So I was a minority owner, 20, 25% partner in the flipping company. I'm just that one in a hundred, whatever percent of the population is. I want to own something vast majority myself. So this business I'm buying, I'm going to be an 80% owner of. And that is such a thrill for me. So calling all the shots, a little scary. I'm finally the only one that can blame for the dumb decisions that I make. I'm not the other partners or anyone else, but also it brings just the great responsibility and excitement. So those were the two major reasons there. Sean, that makes more sense now. So you have 650 residential units in the portfolio now with another 200 under contract, also acquiring an HVAC business. Why is it that you're looking to add operating businesses to the real estate acquisition and syndication you're already doing? Well, flipping 1,500 houses and dealing with different subcontractors, I just saw that they're good, but then also there's a lot of ton of bad subcontractors out there. It's just a miracle to get any type of specialty trade to number one, answer their phone, (laughs) show up, give you a quote, and then actually go do it in a timely manner. So I just figured if I can just execute on those basics, you'll pretty much stand apart in the HVAC space that I'm looking into. And then secondly, of course, is the economies of scale. So now if I have any multifamilies here or in other markets, I understand the trade and can actually use my own company for that. Obviously would disclose all that and the margins and the markup and just whatever market profit margins are. And just kind of shows the synergies between that free marketing and referrals to to each other's companies and all that. And then secondly on it is I'm love operations. That's what I was born and raised to do. My dad grew up entrepreneurial at 12. I grew up in a fruit orchard. My dad would send me out there and he'd have me over the crews that were picking at 12. And then by 16, I was managing all of our distribution to our wholesale accounts of all this produce throughout the summer. So just learned a lot from that. I just love being in the middle of things, the higher level, low level and, and top level operations of a company. Excited to be diving into that. Sean, it sounds like your multifamily portfolio is primarily still in the south, southeast, Tennessee and Georgia. Your HVAC business will be in Utah. Are you looking to bring in house some of the real estate related businesses that will be affecting your portfolio? Yes. I was searching quite heavily for an HVAC business in Tennessee and Florida. It just so happened one popped up here in Utah that worked and fit all my parameters and obviously want to kind of start out one first where I'm here close by and can check up on the business daily. But yeah, I eventually want to add on some other HVAC companies, get a regional, maybe even a national presence uh, in the places I'm very familiar with. So those would be my targets that I'm already targeting. And then also, yeah, I obviously already owned a few rentals here in Utah. I'll probably keep building up that portfolio over time once when the right opportunity hits and can use the synergies between those. Did you raise capital from passive investors for the sake of acquiring this HVAC business? Yes. I've sent it out to my same accredited investor list that have invested in the multifamily. And I have not quite as much interest as multifamily equity, but quite a bit of people are interested in the deal and backing me on it and having some type of split 
on the deal, somewhat similar to real estate, but of course, completely different since I'm personally guaranteeing this loan. It's an SBA loan I'll be getting, but it's kind of similar in the, the similarities and differences in private equity and private equity real estate. But I think it's a pretty easy transition from one to the other. So some interest there as well. I want to ask a question, recognizing that you haven't gone, quote unquote, full cycle on an operating business and you're looking at getting into your first one now, even considering your vast operating experience, this is at least the first time it sounds that you're raising capital for it. Putting your investor relations hat on, Sean, the conversations you're having about the apartment deals you're currently putting under contract and this operating business that you currently have under contract, what are the similarities and differences between those conversations with your accredited investors and how do the returns compare? Great question. So first time, of course, raising money on the private equity side. It's a bit of an education. What I'm looking for, though, is really kind of the investors. I'm getting to know them and ones that are already running a business, entrepreneurial, kind of understand the industry somewhat. I'm putting them on my top list because I also want a synonymous investor slash advisor for the private equity side. So that's what I'm really looking for is not just someone who's going to slap in some money, but maybe someone I could call once a month or quarterly, bat some ideas off each other if they have a certain expertise. So that's where it goes a little differently than real estate, where a lot of these investors don't know a lot about real estate. They're in their other fields. Where in the private equity, it's kind of nice to have an investor slash board of advisor or just a mentor on there to help out in special cases. Because as you know, businesses are way more dynamic than real estate, where it's the same clientele. They're on one-year leases, where this business is dynamic and moving and changing a lot more. Due to that, there's a lot more risk return on the business side. I'd say the returns are way higher on the projections, 30% plus IRRs. Obviously, these are just projections. And also what I've seen, there's a Stanford study that they take out yearly, and those have been the returns, 30 40% plus. Now, obviously, I don't know what percentage, but some of them do go belly up. We'll get back to the show with a first, some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Deciding how to invest your capital is more challenging than ever. That's why it's never been more important to partner with a company with a solid track record and that has thrived through various economic cycles. Companies like BAM Capital. BAM Capital is a trusted multifamily syndicator that has delivered a historical average of over 35% IRR with an average hold period of three and a half years. BAM Capital has never missed a preferred payment, never lost an LP's investment, and never called capital past the subscription amount. BAM Capital is currently raising capital for a fund designed for accredited investors targeting a 15 to 20% IRR and a 2 to 2.5x equity multiple to its investors over a three to five year hold period. If you're an accredited investor and you want to learn more about multifamily investment opportunities with BAM Capital, visit capital.thebamcompanies.com. Again, that's capital.thebamcompanies.com. Just a follow-up question there on that 30% internal rate of return. Hitting those numbers with multifamily typically necessitates the sale of the asset with the proceeds being dispersed according to the agreement, but with the owners getting their proceeds and, and profits returned to them. Are you looking at the same kind of thing? Are you looking at this HVAC business like it has a five-year hold with a targeted IRR upon the sale of the business at the end? Yes, yeah, kind of similar type of thing to get a slightly higher pref equity 
things like that. And typically they'll actually return the equity back first before cash flow distributions are given. And then they still keep on getting the same return on what their equity's in. So yeah, they're projecting at that where as real estate, I'm kind of projecting 15 to 18% IRRs on the multifamilies. Obviously some do better than that or all that on mine that are going on. Obviously with the past two years, real estate market, it's a lot easier with that. So yeah, that's kind of the different dynamics, but pretty much you write up a private placement memorandum. You can do a 506B or C just like you do in real estate. And there's several others as well that I didn't get too much into with my lawyer, but I'm just kind of going to go with the 506C. So pretty similar on that end, the legal side. That's interesting. So effectively greater risk, greater reward when compared to value add multifamily. Yeah, correct. Sean, I have a question. I'm personally curious to hear a couple of different answers from you. I want to hear with the house flipping business in Memphis, where you partnered with the father-son duo, and then also with your multifamily investing since then, what are the biggest things that have gone wrong? Oh, okay. It's the deadly sin. I think number one one is on the flipping. It's really based on that renovation. Can this renovation budget that we assume be hit? So when we lose money on deals, which we do on a few, obviously doing 1500 impossible to not, it's the rental budget, right? And it's the things that you can't see, electrical, plumbing, foundation things. You open up a wall and you can't see that. All of a sudden your rental budget goes up 10, 20 grand. Another deadly one is it's plain and simple is comps, right? So in the flipping, it's even harder in single family because there's not cap rates. There's not NOI really to assume here. It's just simply three houses, five houses will sell for X average. Well, then this one should, but there's just those nuances like a busy street or a crazy neighbor that you don't see or just a weirder floor plan. And you just got to really get intimate and walk inside each one of them, which sometimes doing 1500, we overlook that. And then all of a sudden, we thought the after repair value would be X, but it's 20, 30 grand less. And obviously that could kill the deal where you lose money. So those two big things are the main things. Then the third one on losing money, deals going south in flipping single families is time. If all of a sudden the reno is planned for four to five months, it all of a sudden takes a year or a year and a half. The interest can kill you on the holding period as well. So those are typically the three deadly sins, I would say, of flipping the mistakes that are the most common to losing money on a flip. It hits you harder than multifamily because multifamily, you can hold it for five years. And the things they buffer out over time where these are high, quick turn things that you're trying to go fast on. So time is up. To that, to that end though, Sean, you kind of pointed this out already. You alleviated those issues with some of your deals with scale. Exactly. So if I can ask 1500 flips, understanding and our listeners understanding that you're shooting from the hip because you didn't prepare anything for this, these kinds of statistics, on what percentage of your deals would you say that one of those issues arose? And then on what percentage of the deals would you say y'all lost money? Great question, Slocum. Don't have the data. I obviously did start tracking that after years two and three. You start zoning in, getting some lots of data, lots of N numbers, you know, I'm a scientist and people will be familiar with the N number. So once when I got like a couple hundred data sample budget, 50% of the time we're going over budget by at least a little bit. It's just part of the game. I think a lot of people can know about that. Luckily on a lot of them, it wasn't over too drastically, or we could make up for it on the sell side with appreciation rolling in. Obviously we'd start doing more conservative ARVs, 
getting second and third opinions after years two or three, we actually brought in an ex appraiser on our team that would just do a CMA on every single property we were about to buy. So she was doing hundreds because we bought 1500, but we probably had to look at 20 or 30 to get one. So she was doing CMAs for acquisitions team because they weren't quite as experienced and familiar with it. So that helped with it, but five, seven percent or so was probably around the loss ratio. It got down to three or four percent in one year. And then yet again, with the market cycle and 2021, that got thrown off to where it's more on the higher end. Through 2021, yeah, we set the budget and sometimes we would make an offer on a house three months ago. And we're like, yeah, our offer still stands. So we set the budget three, six months ago and it was at 30 grand. Well, as you know, 2021, material and labor costs went 30, 50% in some areas. So then that threw off the budget on the back end. Sometimes it buffered a bit though with appreciation. So it's like, there's another fourth factor of the variables of the already the three things I talked about going in there. So it gets a little complex, but you just kind of monthly, you need to wrestle it all in and communicate with each team member, the appraiser, the contractor, the acquisition team who updates the material cost. They need to get that info from the contractor. So I'm kind of the middle guy helping each one know because the contractors, they have their blinders on. And the acquisition team has their blinders on and our CMA team. So it's all of them need to get together and communicate, which gets harder when you start getting larger degree of complexity and factorial of the people that need to communicate and talk to each other. It gets more complex. Going back to the multifamily portfolio, Sean, what are the biggest mistakes that you guys have made this far and what lessons can our listeners learn from those? Great question, Slocum. So one, the first two, we did write in a refinance in there. Luckily, we put a 15% cash out refi. After that, though, I started hearing about these interest rates. So we, we stopped doing it because it's so hard. Two years from now, you refi. What would the value be? How much cash will you pull out? What will the interest rate be in all those terms? So I've learned to be even more and more conservative. So the other deals, we didn't have a refi in. And if the deal worked out without a refinance, and a five-year hold, it's a buy, cherry on top if you refi. Because you know a refi can really skew your IRR. If you're getting tons of capital after year one or two back, the IRR can just go really high, which is great if it works out. But if it doesn't and you're planning on that, then that can really hurt you. So I'd say that's a big one. It's just conservative underwriting, budget, budget conservating. Then on the budget side, obviously, if you're doing a kind of a medium reno, getting that down and also factoring in a bit of a buffer for material costs and everything like that, which caught us as well as it did with anyone in 2021. So lots of variables and factors, but those are the two main ones that I can think of off the top of my head. That makes a lot of sense. Are you ready for the best ever lightning round? Absolutely. Let's bring it on. It'll be a quick one. We're running a little over time. What is the best ever book you recently read? All right. So The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. It's all about how our self-doubts and fears hold us back and how we can overcome those. A lot of people just inertly, whatever the world tells them or our culture that you don't deserve to be happy. You don't deserve to achieve this big thing and taking that big leap and going for that big thing. Like right now, I'm trying to buy a business where I'm a majority owner. I'm getting a lot of that self-doubt. So this kind of helps you overcome it. Highly recommend it. What is your best ever way to give back? All right. A wise man said, the most important work you will do ever in your life is within the walls of your own home. So my kids, I'm not a great father. I'm not perfect. I will say I'm probably the world's funniest dad, but basically in your house, treating your wife well, being a good spouse and being a great father. 
how I like to give back. And then my church, I do some youth mentorship on Wednesdays and Sundays, kind of teach them Christ, gospel principle, how they can apply that to their life. And obviously give them something fun to do on Wednesday so they're not out doing bad things and things like that. Some wholesome activities with the youth. Nice. And what is your best ever advice? My best ever advice is, I think it, us, a lot of people listening, we're in a leadership position and just really holding that mantle and that stewardship the best you can. You have as much influence, a study said, as much as someone's spouse on someone's happiness <laughs> as a manager and a leader. So you can make someone's life great or terrible. So it's just like, yes, you need to hold people accountable. Obviously, we're not going to brush things on the rug malperformance or illegal activities, but approaching it in the right way and the right mindset and just treating others how you would want to be treated as a boss. I've had a bad bosses before, so I try to do the opposite. So I think that's the best advice is just know that mantle you have and really try to work on yourself because that will pass down to the, the mothers and fathers working, which will pass down to the kids and they'll be happy in their home lives as well. Last question, where can people get in touch with you? LinkedIn, of course, Sean Taggy. My website is Acorn EA. So Acorn Equity and Acquisitions. And then it's just Acorn, A-C-O-R-N-E-A.com. And my YouTube channel, Sean Taggy. I'm trying to post weekly videos on business leadership and multifamily real estate. So yeah, reach out to me there. Happy to connect in any way. Those links are in the show notes. Sean, thank you. Best ever listeners, thank you as well for tuning in. If you gain value from this episode, please do subscribe to our show. Leave us a five-star review and share this episode with a friend you know we can add value to through our episode today. Thank you and have a best ever day. Hi, best ever listeners. Joe Fairless here again. And one last thing before you go, would you like to receive a short weekly email with proven tips from experienced investors, free tools and resources, and a roundup of the week's most relevant news and best ever content? Well, if so... Join the community of nearly 15,000 commercial real estate passive and active investors who receive the best ever newsletter. Just go to bestevercre.com forward slash access and you'll get the very next one. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, thank you for listening and have a best ever day.